right. Welcome back to Eating Elephants. We got Dr. Millicent Trish here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Happy to be here. All right. Thank you for coming on. You know, if you did not know, Dr. Trish is a OBGYN, a great mother, a graduate of HBCU, a member of the Deltas, lifelong member of Jack and Jill. And, you know, we just came on to, to have a, a, a brief conversation just about a few things. But I'll just start off with where are you from, Dr. Trish? Um, I am a native of Kansas City, Missouri, born and raised. Um, loved living in Kansas City. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. No, right on. And uh, at what age did you say, I'm going to go be a doctor? Uh, to be honest with you, it was pretty pretty early on. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a doctor. Um, at that time, I thought I wanted to do pediatrics, but of course, you know, that has the opportunity to change in medical school. And that's pretty much um, where that transition happened in medical school, just going through the different rotations um, and being exposed a little bit more to the various specialties. Right. So was there anything as a youth uh, that your parents did that you say, hey, these things, without this, I would have never chose this particular path or this particular field? Um, I was definitely in a lot of summer programs uh, growing up. Uh, one of the integral uh, programs that I participated in was at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine, um, and that was in high school. Um, we were essentially exposed to medical school curriculum um, that first year. I did it for a period of two years. And then the second year, uh, we did like a whole study in public health. So it's funny that we just went through the pandemic or we're still still in the pandemic. Uh, but we had a scenario that we kind of worked through as public health uh, specialists. And so both of those um, activities were pretty integral in my um, influence in terms of wanting to be a doctor. Right. And I know with the pandemic, has made your job, you know, pretty difficult. And I was reading that, uh, I think in March, they're going to uplift the rest of the restrictions for the pandemic. I know that's a pretty big relief for you, right? What type of different things have you encountered since the pandemic? Well, I mean, just in terms of the way that we practice is, is very different. You know, um, we're still masking in my area. I'm uh, currently in Houston, Texas. Um, we did have an increase in numbers for COVID. Of course, now we're being afflicted by flu, um, RSV. So we're still masking here. And so that's been kind of interesting, like rendering care, especially as OBGYN, because one of the things that uh, we do, we develop relationships like over an entire pregnancy. And so to not really see a patient for the entire pregnancy is very strange uh, because we're masking. Um, and then also just the way that we render care in the office, you know, we limit the amount of people who can be in the office in terms of like visitors of the patient because we're trying to decrease exposure. Right. And, you know, I, I know that is huge. So I know that experience, you know, getting it young was was, uh, you know, pretty big. So for for some of us who don't know, you know, what an OBGYN is, you know, I have a predominantly male audience. Uh can you explain to us just basically what your job entails? You know, what, what are some of the things you do and what are some of the misconceptions? 
Um, so I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that the only thing that we do is deliver babies. Um, essentially, we take care of women throughout their entire reproductive life. So, of course, we kind of start that relationship with patients, just doing regular wellness type care. And then as people start to decide to have babies, we take care of them through that process. But then we're also taking care of them, you know, after that point through menopause as well. So not only do we deliver babies, we do various surgeries like hysterectomies or other uh, female related type procedures. All right, understood. And I know you said that you kind of, you know, switched from pediatrics to that particular field. Uh, what what was what schools did you attend to ultimately, uh, you know, achieve the the goal of becoming a doctor? Um, so one of the first places that um, I started my undergraduate study was at Xavier University of Louisiana um, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, Xavier is number one in terms of producing African-American um, doctors. So that was um, integral in my process because the curriculum there is geared towards producing physicians. Um, after I left there, I did a master's in public health at the University of Texas School of Public Health. Um, that was a two-year program, so I have a master's in public health. And then I went to St. Louis University School of Medicine to do my um, MD. Um, after I graduated, of course, you have to go through a residency um, as well. And OBGYN residency is four years, so I did that at the University of Texas, Houston, um, at that time, the program uh, at University of Texas was split into two programs, and I chose to do my program at the Lyndon B. Johnson General Hospital, which was the one of the county facilities here locally. Oh, yes. Dr. Trish, you you I mean, you're just the definition. So let me ask you this. Uh, I think oftentimes when we think of doctors, we think of, you know, what what did your parents do for a living? Um, so my mom uh, was an educator in the Kansas City, Missouri Public School District uh, for 43 years, and she actually still goes back to work um, at her old campus now. And then my husband, excuse me, my dad uh, worked for United Parcel Service for several years as well. Cool. And, you know, I, I know that's a, you know, school is a big part I think of becoming a, you know, a physician and becoming a doctor, getting a doctorate in, in any field, you know, what kind of things do you do to achieve that work-life balance, right? You know, spiritually, physically, how do you prepare for those long days and those long shifts? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting that you asked me about work-life balance, because I think when you throw uh, children into the mix, um, some of the, the lines are blurred some. And so a lot of my free time is spent really with, with my kids. Um, I have three children. I have one that's in college. My other two are in high school, a freshman and a junior. And so really a lot of that time that is kind of off, um, I'm doing their activities. Uh, for example, this weekend, in fact, on Friday, I had two different things going on. My son had a wrestling uh, match, his district competition. My daughter had swim. Uh, so I literally went to the hospital, did a couple hours there, and then ran to his wrestling match. And then when he finished, I went to the swim meet. So um, I, I don't know necessarily uh, 
how well I'm balancing, but I get it all done. Right. And I know also your oldest son is Ty Trish, a part of the illustrious Howard swim team, right? I've been seeing that that they've been winning some meets and having some social media moments. You know, I've been seeing seeing them enjoying themselves. How does that feel to have a son that has somewhat walked in your footsteps. I don't know what what he's going to school for, but I know Howard is a black mm-hmm. university. And uh, mm-hmm. how does that make you feel that, that he's walked in your footsteps in that way? Well, I'm very proud. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that not only is he a great student, um, he is a biology pre-med major, uh, but he's also a great athlete. And so to be able to balance those things and he's still w- doing well academically is a wonderful feeling. And then also to kind of carry, be carrying all of that out at Howard, um, which is uh, one of our wonderful HBCUs here in the in the country. Um, I'm just very proud that he is doing all of those things. And I'm also proud that the Howard team is getting the recognition that they deserve. Um, one of the things that they've been highlighting on social media is that Howard is the only HBCU with a swim team, and they are a phenomenal swim team. They had um, Olympic qualifier on the team. Um, the kids are very fast and they're very competitive. Right. You know, that's what I think about the kids nowadays. The kids are so, so much more advanced and so much more in tune to their purpose or their why, as mm-hmm. some people would say. So I, that is that is definitely going to be uh, huge with that you know, him going to Howard and, and, and leading that legacy. And then, you know, things like a sorority, because you're, you're also a Delta, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, that's, that's huge. Is he going to be going, uh, I don't know, the male, what would be the male chapter of the Deltas? Well, so there are, um, various, uh, sororities and fraternities, Um, At this point, he says that he, you know, he's just doing school right now. So uh, when he comes to that point, if he comes to that point, we'll see. Right. And, you know, uh, I'll ask you this. So back to kind of, you know, the health side, I think, you know, for me in particular, I try not to use race as a crutch. Right. But in Mm -hmm. in modern health and especially in in, uh, women's health. I think, you know, there is a a big difference in some of the treatments that they receive. In particular, you know, mm-hmm. family members of mine that have things like fibroids and things of that nature. Um, I actually did receive a question about fibroids. Do you is that something that your OBGYN helps you take care of or is that how where did that fall in in your practice? Oh, absolutely. Um those surgeries or uh different treatments that I was telling you about in terms of um, things that we take care of outside of um, obstetrics, that's one of the big things that we definitely take care of. Okay, yeah, because I know that that's something that hits the the African American community at, at a at a large disparity. But you know, mm-hmm. other than that, you know, through the experience that you've gained, not only you know receiving higher education. What are some tips that you have for for anybody who's, you know, looking to pursue medicine or even just, you know, right now pursuing medicine and maybe feeling low on energy? What could you tell them, you know, to kind of help them make it through? Um, Well, the biggest thing is knowing that you can do it. I mean, that's that's half the battle. And I think um, 
a lot of us, especially, you know, African-Americans, um, feel like if they don't have a role model that they know that they can't achieve it, but you can. I mean, my parents were not physicians. We didn't have, you know, physicians in the family, but I still had that goal. And my parents were very encouraging and helped me to achieve that um, by nav- helping to navigate various programs that I could be involved in. Um, and then, of course, in high school, you know, there are summer programs that were available and my counselors were also integral in making sure that I had that information to be able to apply and get that exposure. Right. And, you know, would you say maybe, you know, being in a sorority kind of helped you with that, kind of helped you harness some of that energy or maybe even, you know, receiving that extra help for someone, you know, like like you said, not coming necessarily from a medical background. Um, Was mentorship something big for you? Uh, Did you seek out those mentors? Did they find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, there were mentors not only in Delta, um, there were mentors that you just kind of meet along the way. I mean, there I still have mentors that I look up to or speak with, you know, about just different things, different concerns that I have, different questions that I have. And so, you know, I, I'm happy that you kind of touched on that because it's, it's one of those things that I try to, you know, reach back and be a mentor um, to those that are coming up behind me, um, just to make sure that they know that they can do it. You know, if you see people doing it and you see them doing it well, then that encourages you. And then you know that you have the ability to do it as well. All right. Definitely leading by example. You know, it's huge to always set that example, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having the perfect family, right. I I think sometimes people look at, look at that from the, you know, the outside looking in, let me ask you, what about like your kids? You know, I I, I love Mm -hmm. social media, seeing the things that they're doing. And, and, and seeing all of the different, you know, events that they're in and how you're balancing it. And I oftentimes see your husband chipping in at different events. Mm-hmm. How did you discipline them coming up? I always, you know, wonder, do you spank your kids? Did you talk to them? What, if, you know, for someone who wants to discipline and, and, and also have some confident children, what what's some tips mm-hmm. that you have for them out there? You know, it's so funny that you mentioned um, the comment in regard to spanking, because for sure I I did receive spankings. Um, but to be honest with you, we really have not uh, had to spank. Um, we definitely disciplined by taking things away if they did something that wasn't um, appropriate. And I will say that between my husband and I, he's definitely the calmer head. And so he can kind of talk the kids through whatever it is that they're going through. But I I can also say that I've been blessed. Like my kids are relatively good kids. I mean, do they get in trouble? Do they mouth off? I mean, I have two teenagers that are still here in the house. Do they mouth off on occasion? Absolutely. Uh, But we have been blessed that we really haven't had much trouble at all. You know, we've had to correct, correct, um, a smart comment or things of that nature. But other than that, they've, they've really uh, treated us well. Right. So let me ask you in, in all your journeys, uh, especially through education, what are some highlights to give us? Like, did you, did you go to school with any celebrities? Did you ha- win a award? Mm-hmm. Uh, were you the first at something? 
Um, didn't go to school with any celebrities, but I think uh, one of the um, cherished awards that I just recently won um, in the summer of last year, I was the teaching um, faculty of the year uh, for one of the facilities that I work at. And that meant a lot because one of the things that I do pride myself on is making sure that I get um, the interns into the OR, make sure that they're actually able to operate. You know, that's a big deal um, as an intern to be able to go in and actually operate and your attending, feeling confident with you operating. Um, so that really meant a lot uh, because I know that that's not the case with every, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if I want the intern in here with me, but I'm like, how are they going to learn? You know, definitely somebody gave me that opportunity. So I want to make sure that I pass that along. So that did mean a lot um, that the, the residents, um, recognized me with that honor. So that that was a highlight for me. Right. Did they what did they change about residency during the pandemic? Cuz I know residency uh keeps, You know, keeps... really much Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said I know residency. I was wondering if it changed cuz it's a pretty hands-on process and if you can explain what residency is for some of the listeners that may not, you know, understand what that process is in their medical journey. So your residency, once you've decided what uh, discipline of medicine that you want to go into, you have to get further training in that particular specialty. So it can vary anywhere from three years to as many as seven years, seven, eight years, depending on what you decide to do. So it's all of that training for that particular uh, specialty. So as I mentioned previously, for OBGYNs, it's four years. So not only are you learning to deliver babies, you're in the clinic learning how to render care in the clinic. You're also doing uh, GYN surgeries, whether that's hysterectomies for fibroids or uh, minimally invasive type surgeries as well. Um, and so it's a process. It seems like a long time, but it, it definitely goes quickly. Um, in terms of any changes to training, there really wasn't. Um, there really wasn't any any changes. I mean, we still were rendering um, the same care, uh, essentially. So, you know, and I, I'd imagine because, uh, you know, I was reading that telemedicine is becoming a big thing, right? It is, but it's kind of interesting because it doesn't quite work as well for uh, what I do. Um, that was one of the difficult things to kind of navigate during the pandemic, because especially for obstetrics, like you need the patients to come in. You need to actually hear the heartbeat of the baby measure. You're measuring to make sure that the uterus is growing appropriately. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, there were select times when I used telemedicine, like, say, for instance, if one of my patients had covid and they couldn't come to the office at that time, uh, but it it wasn't ideal uh, for my specialty. Now for family medicine, um, you know, and some of the other specialties, it worked out okay. Right, and I, you know, I, and I, I like I said, I, I know what a lot of the things that you have to do are are just hands on in, in relationship building, mm -hmm. um, and I would imagine that some of 
your residents and some of your students that you're starting to see coming out of the pandemic uh, education field that you're having to spend a little extra time with them. So we thank you for that, uh, Dr. Trish. We thank you for spending that extra time. Okay, thank you. But, you know, other than other than that, you know, we wanted to, I want to thank you for coming on Eating Elephants, you know, having a brief uh, conversation with us. You know, before before I let you go today, um, I just wanted to, you know, ask you just kind of the, you know, final question, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, for all of those who are out here looking and, you know, looking to pursue medicine, you know, black, white, Hispanic, whatever their race, you know, may be. If if you had, a, you know, one tip for them to, you know, achieve not only the longevity that you've achieved, but still having the love for what you do, what would it be? You really have to be in tune as to why you're going into medicine. Medicine is not for the weak at all. Um, we see people at their worst and sometimes when they're at their worst, I mean, health wise, uh, and when we see them at their worst, sometimes they're they're not the nicest people. But you have to have compassion. You have to have empathy. Um, and at those times, that's when I kind of really dig into why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I know that especially now, um, immediately after the uh, pandemic, you know, we lo- lost a lot of physicians because physicians were just burnt out. Uh, But one of the things that keeps me going is that I really enjoy what I'm doing. I really enjoy the relationships that I make uh, with the patients. And I just try to keep in touch with why did I want to do this in the beginning? And that was to help people, to be able to educate people about their bodies, educate people about their health. And so I just have to always constantly remember that. And that's what keeps me going. And I, I think that would keep anybody going in medicine because if you're doing it for, you know, other reasons, um, like, Oh, I, I think I'm going to make a a lot of money. Uh, you're going to burn out very quickly and you're going to find out that (laughs) that's not necessarily the case, but you really have to have a love for, um, the people. (laughs) Understood. I guess I got, I guess I have one more question on the way out. Is there any health issues on the rise in, um, the women's community that you, you know, are kind of seeing or maybe advocating for or that, you know, pushing to, to kind of eradicate right now? Is there is there a particular issue that you feel like this is something that having the platform I'd like to just express a warning about? Uh, the biggest thing right now, especially in obstetrics, is decreasing uh, maternal morbidity and mortality. Um, black women die at, at astronomical rates or um, have some sort of serious complication related to um, labor and delivery more so than our white counterparts. Um, and so just making sure that you are seeking care, uh, that's number one, uh, but also making sure that, um, you know, if you're having an issue um advocating for yourself, making sure that you are being heard, uh, because labor and delivery, I think a lot of times people believe that, oh, I'm just going to go in and have a baby. Everything is going to be fine. Um, but you can have some serious complications, even if you didn't have complications all the way through the prenatal course, you may have some complications at the time of delivery, um, that can be, you know, pretty catastrophic. So just making sure that you're seeking care, 
making sure that your concerns are being heard. Um, and also, I think half the battle, too, is just making sure that you are communicating what is happening with with you, um, being able to communicate your sy symptoms effectively so that you can receive the treatment needed. Definitely. Well, Dr. Trish, I thank you so much for your time. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, you've got other things to do. Uh, this has been Eating Elephants. This is Copeland signing off. Peace. Good night.